God bless you. We're so happy you're here with us today. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and blessings. We praise you for your wonderful blessings upon us all here this morning. Thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your presence, your power, your spirit, your goodness, your love, your grace. We ask you, Jesus, to bless this Bible study, Lord, and the service following. We thank you for all things we glorify. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn to your neighbor, shake their hand, greet them, and tell them, happy 4th of July. That's tomorrow. Day's the third. <laughs> but it's coming. Amen. Praise the Lord. Independence Day. God bless all of you. We're happy to see you here today in the house of God. God bless you. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. We are going to pick up where we left off here. Uh, what is it, two weeks ago? Uh, I was not here last week. And the uh, week before, we preached or spoke in the morning service, not in our Sunday school lesson. <clears throat> so the last two Sundays we have skipped in our Sunday school lesson, I'm going to pick up where we were uh, two, uh, two weeks ago. And uh, I want to just remind you what we are studying and where we have been studying, and that's in the book of Romans. The book of Romans is a very interesting book. It is one of the uh, probably three major uh, epistles in the writings of Paul where Paul deals uh, with the explanation of how it's possible we Gentiles can be saved. He deals with the principles of salvation. Some of the epistles like 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Thessalonians, so forth, 1 2 Thessalonians, others, they deal with the practicalities of Christianity. In other words, they deal with how to live for God, how to serve the Lord, how to walk with the Lord. That's the principal part of it. Uh, the principal part of Romans, uh, Ephesians, Galatians, and uh, most of those three books, they deal with the practicalities of, I mean, the principles of salvation. How is possible that we Gentiles who did not know the law, did not follow the law, were not under the law, how is possible we can be saved? Whenever there were those in Paul's day, and still in this day, say that you cannot live for God unless you follow the law. There are sometimes... Christians who sort of fall back into that. You got to keep the seventh day, for instance. You can't eat certain meats. Uh, they, they're Christians, but they start bringing in that old law. Paul, in his writings, explains all those things so that we understand that the Lord is God over all. That's why Jesus said that uh, he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Man, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus brought that out to the Pharisees. They were always boggled by all of that because Jesus was trying to teach them that the laws of Moses was for the benefit of man, not for man to feel like he had to come under some heavy load of some type. And so in the practicalities or the principles rather of salvation that's mentioned in Romans, we've been talking about these things and about the judgments of God. And uh, Paul talks about how that we are saved then or justified by, not saved so much as justified by faith in the Lord and not by the law. And he talks, he compares faith with works. And when he speaks of works, he speaks of the works of the law. In other words, the things they had to do under the law, they had to do this, they had to do that, this, 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 that. And they had all manner of commandments under the law. They had, come, they had social laws. Uh, that they had to keep, could not do, and things they could do and had to do. Uh, they had uh, agricultural laws they had to keep and so forth. 
they had uh, sacrificial laws they had to keep and follow and so forth, certain things they had to do and not do, and, uh, and so forth. Well, because of the New Testament's whole design of God to reach out to the whole world, it was impossible for everybody to line up to the law. How are you going to keep agricultural laws in Palestine if you live in India, you know, so forth? The Lord knew all of that. That's why he made it the way he was. Uh, just like the meats, you know, some places they, they eat seafood. That's all they eat. You, some of these islands and so forth, uh, you know, that's about all that they've got to eat is seafood. Well, if you say you can't eat certain seafoods, then everybody starves to death because that's what they eat, you know. So the Lord knew all of that from the beginning of time, from the beginning. So he said, go ye in all the world. That's why he told, uh, and preached the gospel. Uh, that's why he told uh, Peter, a slay and eat. When he showed him all those animals, he said, no, Lord, I've, done, I've never done any of these things. I've never eaten any of these animals. They're unclean. He said, nothing I've made is unclean, slay and eat. What he was trying to say is that I'm changing the whole course of this salvation so that it can reach the Gentile world. Paul understood all that. Peter understood it. And uh, James understood it. And the leading, most of the apostles did. But that was always a segment of Christians who came, many of them out of the Phariseeistic view of the Jewish faith who had become Christians. They still believed the Gentiles should come back under the law and learn the law, obey the law, and keep the law. The sad part about it is that after 70 AD, the temple did not exist. They could not have kept much of the law because you could not make any sacrifices, you know. No sacrifices. You couldn't go to the temple. You couldn't, oh, you couldn't even go to the temple for certain things. And so Jesus was preparing their hearts when he came, and then finally the apostles likewise that the gospel was going to be to the whole world. And when they went out and preached the gospel to Gentiles, the Gentiles did not have to come back under the law. Now, I'm going to go into the fourth chapter because Paul continues explaining certain things about the law and why it was possible that we could be saved without the law, without the Old Testament law I'm talking about. And then he talks about Abraham. He says, verse chapter four, I'm going to read the first two verses what shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? <clears throat> For if Abraham were justified by works, these are the works of the law now, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. So he is saying that Abraham had a life before the law was even made. And Abraham lived 1,500, probably 500 years before the law was given. Abraham did. So consequently, he was saying before there was a law, Abraham found grace in the eyes of God. So he's pointing all this out. Look at the 16th verse of that fourth chapter. Therefore, it, it, it is of faith that it might be by grace. It is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, all the seed. Notice this now. He's talking about Abraham, and I'm just jumping way ahead here to get to the highlighted points. To all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham. In other words, Abraham was a father of faith. We are the children of faith. Uh, he was the father of the Jews, and we are not descendants of the Jews, but we are the descendants of faith. If we are the children of faith, and he's the father of faith, then we are Abraham's children in that fashion. And this is what Paul brings out. And so he says, we are children of, of, of Abraham, as well as the Jews who keep the law. 
are children of Abraham, but we are children of Abraham because we are children of faith and he is the father of faith. Therefore, we're the father, we're the children of the father of our father Abraham. I'm going to continue reading to tile the knots here. He goes on to say here, he said, uh, I'm going to read 16 again. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be by grace to the end of the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Notice that. In other words, Abraham is the father of us all because we're the children of faith. I'm going to read now the 17th verse down. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. That was written where the Lord said that to Abraham. Now, he's, re, he's using Abraham now as an illustration here. He says, I have made thee a father of many nations before, whom, before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and called those things which be not as though they were, who sought hope, uh, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. That's Abraham now. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. I'm jumping down to verse 20. He staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed unto him for righteousness. He's saying here that Abraham exercised his faith in God and therefore he found this favor with God. Therefore our faith in Jesus or our faith in God through Jesus Christ gives us the favor in God. Do you understand what we're seeing here? Paul was trying to connect the dots here, not only with practical thought and, and understanding about the law and about grace, but also with that of Abraham. I'm going to move on here very quickly here because he ties us in with it here uh, in a few verses down. Uh, verse 21, being fully persuaded that he that promised he was able also to perform Verse 22, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. It was given to him for righteousness because he believed God, not because he kept the law. There was no law. Now, so now it was not written for his sake alone. Now, here's where it comes down to us, that it was imputed to him, but for us also, we who come, came later, we, we, uh, we Gentiles, for it was, it was for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our God from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. That is Jesus Christ dying on Calvary, Calvary and then being raised again for our justification. Verse five then is a continuation. Therefore, chapter five, I mean, verse one. Chapter five, verse one continues on. Therefore, being justified by faith, by the faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith unto this grace. Praise the Lord. That is God's goodness, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Folks, I don't know why it is, but some denominational parts of Christianity get all bogged down in this. They don't, they don't understand here that the Lord is saying we are saved by the grace of God. Now, that's what that verse says here at the end in verse 2 of chapter 5. Look at this very closely, and we'll spring off of this verse. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace, into this grace wherein we stand. In other words, the grace of God is the goodness of God. It is the favor of God unmerited, unearned. We do not earn God's goodness. 
We've done nothing to earn God's grace. We have done nothing to, to qualify for his many blessings, kindness, mercy, all of that upon us. And grace can be spelled out in, in specific acts of God. Calvary was an act of God, which is the grace of God. The Lord sending the baptism of the Holy Ghost upon mankind, you know, in the fashion that he did, whosoever would, can receive it. Uh, this is an act of God. There's an act of grace from the Lord. Uh, the Lord's love to us. I don't know about everybody. I, I think it's pretty well everyone, but I know for myself personally. When I was 16 years old, I went to a Pentecostal church service. I had been in, in and out around Pentecost. My parents, you know, had been married in a Pentecostal church, all those kind of things. Now, here, uh, when I was a young person, and uh, I was 16 years old. I went to a Pentecostal church service one night just to be there. Just, uh, you know, it was a Sunday night. Where do we go? Well, let's go to church and nowhere else to go. So we went to church. We sat there and God convicted me. The conviction of God upon us is the grace of God. It's the Lord saying, I want to save you. I'm, I'm dealing with your heart. I, I want to bring you out of what you're in. What you're in is, is, is you're, you're lost and you're going to go to hell. And I want to save you from that. And that's what conviction is all about. It's the Lord dealing with us that we feel that. We feel a drawing. And some people say, whoa, I don't like what, I mean, I don't like to be drawn. But that's what God's grace, that's part of God's grace. So God's grace is spelled out in many fashions and many forms. The fact that he has given us preachers, praise the Lord, that's God's grace to us. You know, they're given to us to help us to be saved, helped us to stay saved. Praise the Lord. Pastors, teachers evangelists, you know, the prophets, apostles, all of those were God's gifts to the church as well. So I'm just pointing out that's all part of God's grace. That's his extended actions toward us that we might be saved. So the grace of God. Now, let me go a little further with this grace of God. I'm springing then off of this verse 2 on chapter 5. By, faith, by whom also he, we have access by faith into this grace. Go over to Ephesians, if you would, and look at 2.8. It says here, for, for by grace are you saved through faith. You notice that. It doesn't say that we're saved by faith. We're saved by grace. It is God's goodness to us that saves us. But we're saved by grace through faith. I'm going to tie that together in a few moments. This is what Romans is saying over here to whom also we have access by faith into this grace. It is our faith that gives us access to the grace of God. And this is what Ephesians here 1.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith and not, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Praise the Lord. Now, another verse of Scripture is one found in Titus. I'll read this as well. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, 2.11 for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. The grace. That is that men, anybody can be saved. Everybody can be saved. The grace of God is not just to the Jews, it's to all of us. Everybody stay with me? And it's appeared unto all. Jesus died on Calvary for the whole world. But is the whole world saved? No. The whole world is not saved because individuals must respond to the grace of God. 
The grace of God is Calvary. Grace of God is obedience to, uh, to, to conviction. Oh, the grace of God, praise the Lord, is our actions in response to God's actions upon us. Praise the Lord. The Lord showed us grace, so the grace of God hath appeared unto all men, and it is the will of God that all men be saved. It is. I can show you that in the scripture as well. It's the will of God that everybody be saved, but it is up to the individual to respond, and that's where our faith comes in. Faith is a response to God's grace. We are saved by grace and that through faith, through faith. It is our faith. Our faith is the response to God's grace. We feel conviction. We feel the love of God. We feel the presence of God. We feel goosebumps, you know. What do we do under those circumstances? We respond to God. We lift our hands. We say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. That's a response of grace. Repentance is a response of grace. Praise the Lord. We come to an altar of repentance and we say, Lord, forgive me of all the things I've done and I won't ever do them anymore. You know, all the sinful things I'm talking about. And so that, that, those things, this called repentance, that's a response of grace. Baptism in water is a response to grace. Praise the Lord. It's part of the believing process. In other words, faith is us believing in Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Okay, that's a commandment that the Lord gave Jews on the day of Pentecost, and it wasn't in conflict with faith. It was the acts of faith. It is faith being put in action, praise the Lord, that they may respond to God's grace. So God's grace is to the whole world. Anybody can be saved, and that is a beautiful and wonderful thing. And that's why I, 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 that's why Paul even said, I, I, I persuade all men. I try to persuade everybody I can. I talk, excuse me, <clears throat> I talk to them. I try to tell them Jesus loves you. The Lord wants you to be saved. God can change your life. He can turn things around. There are people I may be talking to here this morning. I don't know, but there may be someone here this morning that knows what I'm talking about. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm in a situation. I'm in a circumstance. I'm in a you know, I don't know what I'm going to do, but the Lord can turn your life around. I'll guarantee it. Praise the Lord. He can do that. But see, that's all I can do is to tell you that God's grace is there and he will, he can change things for you. He can put you on the right track. <clears throat> he can solve some of the problems you have in your life. He can turn things around for you, but we have to have the faith to respond to that. We've got to say, Lord, what must I do? What must I do? What can I do? And whenever we do that, then the Lord's word is what we follow. And obeying the word of God is that act of faith in which the Lord has given us uh, that access. Praise the Lord. So there are many scriptures here that tell us of these wonderful and wonderful and glorious truths. Uh, I'm going to read this verse of scripture found also in First. Uh, this is one found in 1 Timothy 2, 4. Who will have all men to be saved and to come under the knowledge of truth? Now, there is a doctrine that was put out by John Calvin, who was the founder of the Presbyterian Church many, many years ago, probably 500 years ago, 15-something he lived. And uh, John Calvin believed in a doctrine called the doctrine of predestination or the doctrine of once saved, always saved, or the once lost, always lost. 
Actually, his was just, it was both ways. His doctrine of predestination, you were born to be saved or you're born to be lost. And it goes, it's tied in with a scripture where Paul goes further into explaining the principles of salvation found in Romans and in uh, Ephesians, I believe it is, uh, where he talks about predestination. What he talks about literally is the predestination of the church collectively. God's church was predestined from the foundation of the world. You and I as individuals were not predestined. And when you read those scriptures in the Bible, Paul always uses the plural adverb. Uh, he said, we, we this, we that, uh, they, we, and so forth. He never uses you or me or I, but he always uses the, the plural form of it. So I'm telling you that so that you understand here that whenever the scripture says it's the will of God that all men be saved, it is God's will that all be saved. The Lord wants everybody to be saved, but he's given us a free will, a free will. This is why, this is what he did with the angels when he created the angels. He gave them a free will. And Satan, of course, used that free will to go against God. And then he used that ability to speak against God to other angels, and they used their free will to go against God. So Satan pulled a segment of the angels with him against God. God allowed it to happen because he gave them a free will. Because he doesn't want them to spend eternity with him in heaven forever and forever and forever if they do not want it, it's not in their heart to do it. And same thing with you and me. God gives us a free will here. Because when you get to heaven, folks, you're there because you love him. And you have proven your love for him. And it is life forever and ever and ever. And you live forever and forever and forever. There won't be no rebellion in heaven from the people, from the redeemed. It won't be. Because your chance to have just gone your own way, done your own thing, and forget God was all here in this life. And that's why he allows us to be tempted. He put Adam and Eve in a beautiful garden. He put them in a beautiful garden. Oh, man, a tree, a tree of life. Everything was wonderful. Then he put the tree of good and evil there. Why did he, why did he put the tree there? Why didn't he leave it out? He wanted them to have a choice. He had given them a free will. And then he said, don't touch that tree and don't eat the fruit thereof. The tree, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that. Uh, why, Lord? Just because I said that's good enough. You know, you know how many mothers who say that to your children? <laughs> well, anyhow, I don't know exactly how God said it, but anyhow, that's what God pretty well implied. And what they had to do was to say, I will obey the word of God. I will obey the word of God because I love the Lord. I know his best interest. I'm, I'm in his best interest. And so therefore I'll listen. Well, along comes the serpent, Satan and the serpent, and tempts Eve and then tempt Eve tempts Adam, and Adam takes for the fruit as well, and they both partake of the fruit. Now the point that I'm making simply here is that God could have just left the tree out and man would have just been, you know, the robot, you know. He's going to be good, praise the Lord, because that's the way he's made. He doesn't have a free will. But when God gave him the free will, we have an ability to choose, praise the Lord. And God has allowed that to happen. See, God doesn't make mistakes. He does everything right, but there's wisdom in God's way and God's plan that he gives. And he does that, that we might, praise the Lord, choose the Lord over bad or over wickedness, or over evil. 
that we might walk with the Lord. And folks, if you do that, one day you'll walk streets of gold. I promise you. Hallelujah. And keep walking with the Lord. But Satan never gives up. You know, he comes around. He'll whisper in your, you know, he'll try to say, oh, no, what, you know, what are you doing? You're living for God. You're going to church all the time. You're missing all the fun. You know, uh, older people, they don't think that, but the younger crowd sometimes, they go, oh, I'm missing out on all this and that. You know, I could do this. I could do that. You know, all that kind of stuff. I've lived for God for 60 years. Excuse me. <coughs> for 60 years, I understand how all that goes. You know, Satan tempts you around, you know. He always used to tempt me with ways to make money. I knew how to all kind of ways to make money. Man, I could get rich. I knew how to do it. I probably never could have, but I thought I knew how. You know, I thought, I, you know, that's the devil for you. You know, and then I said, you know, if I didn't have to preach the gospel, man, I could get rich. And one time I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I'll support five pastors if you'll just let me get out here and make a lot of money. And I'll support five pastors. I'm only one pastor, but I'll support five of them. They won't have to work. They can pastor their churches and, and, and pastor their churches and do a lot of business. And the Lord said, I didn't call you to, to do all that. I called you to just be what you are right now. And I want you to stay there. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But you know what I'm talking about here. There's temptations that come our way all the time. And what we have to do is say, Satan, get behind me. Praise the Lord. I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to follow God's way. I'm going to do it God's way. And God will always be faithful and God will always be true to us. Praise God. Amen. Let me move on here. I want to talk to you here a little bit about uh, these scriptures here. Uh, in this scripture of Second of 1 Timothy 2, 4, he says here, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of truth. Uh, let me give you an, another scripture <clears throat> with that. That's in 2 Peter and chapter 3, verse 9. It says about the same thing. Folks, the word of God always has more than one scripture almost everything. And, it, you know, the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Here's another one. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish. Not willing that any should perish. Nobody. There is no doctrine of, you know, predestination. You're destined to be saved or destined to be lost. Well, that sounds good if you're predestined to be saved. In other words, if I'm predestined to be saved, I'm going to be saved. I'm not going to be lost. No matter what I do, I'm going to be saved. I get out here and live like the devil, but I'm going to be saved, right? Because I'm predestined to be saved. That's a bad doctrine. Excuse me. (coughs) I got it. <clears throat> a little frog in my throat, I guess. But if I'm predestined, I think, to be lost, then I don't think I can ever be saved. That's a, that's a sad thing. I used to be the uh, camp director at, 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 Florida, at an old California Florida camp, uh, Florida youth camp. And we had, we had children, you know, hundreds of children came there for camp. And they would, you know, be there. They have, I think camp's going on this week, if I'm not mistaken, or it was or something. But uh, they have all through the summer, they have these camps going on. And uh, I remember that there was this one boy never would respond. He never would come down to the altar. And uh, I used to, we would, uh, you know, would have preachers that preach and the preachers would preach them and they'd come to the altar and pray. And many of them prayed through the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It was a wonderful, beautiful thing. And, uh, <clears throat> did recreation with him a lot of had classes and a lot of things but this one you fella would just sit there and just sit and look sit and look so I got a little bit of a little bit of a burden for him I went to him one day 
And I said to him, I said, uh, I said, don't you want to go to the altar? He says, it won't be, it won't do any good. I said, what do you mean it won't do any good? He says, I, I cannot be saved. I said, what do you mean you cannot be saved? He said, well, he said, you know, some people can be saved, some people can't be saved. And I'm one of those that cannot be saved. I said, how do you know that? He said, I just know it. I just know that. I said, do you want to be saved? He said, if I could be, I would be. But I know I cannot be. Are you following me here? And in that child's heart, he had come to the place. I don't know whether it was a mother or a father who said, you are a bad boy. You've always been a bad boy. You've been a bad boy since day one. Folks, folks, don't ever tell your children that kind of stuff, you know. But, I mean, there are some parents that are just really real on their kids. I don't know whether they're taking out their own frustrations or what. But, anyhow, uh, I guess somebody had done that with him. You're a bad boy. You're really a bad boy. And you're just, you'll never amount to anything. You'll never be anything. Whatever it was, he was convinced he was one of those. He was on those on the bottom side. And so he just said, I can't ever be saved. And I said, no, no, no. I said, you can be saved. And I said, Jesus loves you. He loves you. I said, have you felt in this service a little bit of a tingling feeling or a little bit of it? He says, yes, I have. I said, that's God telling you he loves you and he wants you to be saved and everything. And I finally convinced him and everything. He went down to that altar and started praying and, and praying to the Lord. And next thing you know, he had his hands lifted up and other young people. I'm talking about 12, 13 years old, 11, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 years old. These kids all got around him. They prayed for him. And the next thing you know, he was speaking another time, getting the Holy Ghost. And he was jumping up and down. He was the happiest guy in the world. And from that time on, he was the happiest kid in that camp because he had received the Holy Ghost and came to realize Jesus really did love him. Now, I'm just trying to tell you the destructiveness of the doctrine of what's called predestination, you know. And they put, sometimes there's a smooth edge put on it where they emphasize just the saved. Then they say once saved, always saved. They don't say once lost, always lost. They just say once saved, always saved. And they put, they put that and it's called eternal security and so forth. And yet that is not true either because if you read in the seven churches of Asia that's mentioned in the first two chapters of the book of Revelation, chapters one, two, and three, three chapters rather, two and three of those two chapters, of those three chapters, it talks about the seven churches of Asia and the Lord goes on to say, I'll take your candlestick out of his holder or I will, you're, you will lose out with me or I will, uh, I will not let you walk, you know, I'll take you, I'll blot your name out of the book of life. You know, all these things are mentioned there. So that you can, it lets me know that once you are saved, you can be lost. So that we who are saved can say, oh, well, anything I do is okay. Now, do we ever drop a watermelon? Yeah. Do we ever slip? Do we ever fall? Do we ever do something we shouldn't do? Yes. What do we do in a case like that? You come back to an altar of repentance. You ask the Lord to forgive you. You said, God, I, I just messed up. Lord, please forgive me. I want to do what's right. That's what we do. Praise the Lord. That's part of living for God and walking with the Lord, you know. You know, you may get mad on a guy on the uh, driving out there and driving you, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you fuss at him and you shake your fist at him. And you get to church and you say, oh, man, I, I, man, I hope he doesn't know I'm a Christian, you know. You know? <laughs> I was following one woman down the road one day, Sunday morning trying to get to church. 
Man, she was poking along, poking along, poking along. I think, oh my God, this woman's driving me crazy. Why don't she move on down the highway? I got to get to church. I got to get to church. I got to get to church. I follow her. I said, man, she's just all the way. She's going to be a hindrance to me. We get to the church. She pulls into the parking lot. <laughs> she's one of God's people. <laughs> I said, oh my Lord. I'm, Lord, forgive me, God. I don't know who the lady was. It doesn't matter. It wasn't her. It was me. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Maybe God was trying to save me from something. You know, I didn't know it, you know. You know, an accident or something. But I'm just trying to say here that sometimes we, we do, we get angry about something, say something we shouldn't say or do something we shouldn't do or whatever. You know, we just make it right with the Lord. We say, Jesus, forgive me. I want to be right with you and I want to walk with you, Lord. And I want to do what is right. That is how we make things right and go on with the Lord. And the Bible said he is just to forgive us of our sins. The blood of Jesus Christ, folks, covers a lot of things. Thank God for the blood. And the blood is applied. The blood is applied when we're baptized. Now, there's a scripture in the book of, uh, it's in the first chapter of the book of uh, Revelations. I won't have you turn there. But it says that the blood of Christ is applied. It says when we're baptized, that the application of the blood is applied. Uh, Whenever Paul was going to be baptized, Ananias, the man who had prayed for him and baptized him, he said, rise, Paul, be baptized, washing away your sins. Our sins are washed away in baptism. Praise the Lord. Not repentance, not just believing in the head. Believing in the head begins the process. But these are all acts of our faith. They're acts of believing. Praise the Lord. So I obey the word of God. I repent. I obey the word of God. I am baptized in his name. That is an act. The Bible said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. It doesn't say he that believeth and is not baptized shall be saved. He that believeth and is baptized. Baptism is a part of that believing process. Praise the Lord. Baptism is very important in that. So bab- baptism is a part of the believing process. So we have to have the, have, the, have the application of the blood, and the application of the blood is in baptism. Whenever uh, Paul, uh, Moses was going to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, he... Uh, had them go through the Passover. I want you to turn with me to, uh, to Hebrews chapter 11, just for a moment. Uh, Hebrews 11. And uh, let me read a verse of scripture here to you. It says here in 1130, I mean 1128 rather. It says, through faith, he, Moses, kept the Passover. Now, it was an act of faith, but it was an act. By, by, he kept the, by faith, he kept the Passover. Faith wasn't saying, okay, I believe, but it was an act of, I believe, and I'm going to act upon it. And here's what the Passover was. The Lord said to Israel, tomorrow morning you're going to leave this place. Tonight, the death angel is going to pass over. And what you have to do is to slay a lamb. Three years old, he had, this, he had all the details on it. Slay a lamb, take the blood and apply the blood of the lamb the night before now, apply the blood of the lamb to the doorpost of your house on each side like this and across the lintel at the top and to apply that blood. They had a certain little bush that was used for a brush. It's called a hyssop brush. Everything is real close together and they use it for a brush. And dip that in the blood and apply that on those doorposts, okay? They slew the lamb, saved the blood, ate the lamb, 
but they took the blood and applied it to their household. Dad, what are you doing? I'm applying the blood to our house. Why? Because the death angel is going to pass over tonight, son, and I want you to be safe. I want you not to, you know, maybe didn't tell him, maybe he did tell him. And so he just said, and so I can just see that father, folks. Now listen to me closely. I can see that father saying, this is what the Lord said, I'm doing it. And he's doing it. Maybe an Egyptian came along, you know, neighbor down the road. What are you doing there, Zeke? Ezekiel for short. What are you doing, Zeke? He said, I'm, uh, I'm applying blood to the doorpost of my house because the angel, death angel is going to pass over tonight and he'll take the oldest son. And I, you really believe that? I do believe it because it's in the word of God. God has instructed us and we have instructions from the Lord to do that. Oh, come on. That's just fairy tale stuff. Have you ever had anybody tell you that walking with the Lord and the hope of the rapture is fairy tale stuff or is, you know, is it really real or you know, what is that? You know, all that kind of stuff. They mix it all in with all of this other phony stuff, you know, people from outer space and, and all this weird stuff they got on TV now and everything. Potter, you know, Harry Potter. I won't go into all that stuff, but you know what? All that weird stuff. Anyhow, they mix the real thing in with all of that phony stuff. And then they say, you really believe all that? Yeah, yeah. So he's applying the blood. And I can just see that father all of it and he stands over here and he gets back and he looks at it what oh, missed a spot oh just in case I'm applying the blood because it's my son and I believe this is my act of faith now what if he had killed the lamb and he, Moses said apply the blood he said look we killed the lamb God knows the blood's here why do I got to take the blood here and put it over here why do I have to, why do I have to, because he wants you involved. He wants you to do it because it is an act of you believing. It's like me saying, uh, the building's on fire. Everybody awake now, nobody asleep. Building's not on fire. But what if I were to say the building's on fire? And if you want to be saved, you go out this exit door over here or this exit door here or those two back there. If you want to be saved, go through the door. And you say, and I say to you, do you want to be saved? You say, yeah, I want to be saved. Well, then we need to get out of the building. And, so, and everybody flees. And one person says, sir, and I said, do you want to be saved? Yes. Do you believe? Yes. Then why don't you go out the exit doors? Oh, well, I don't know. I, I'll just wait and see, you know. If you really believe, you will, right? If the building was really on fire, you folks would leave here. You know you would. And, I, and somebody said, the building's on fire. And everything you'd get up and you'd get out if you didn't get up and get out you'd say I don't believe the building is on fire I don't believe what that preacher said in the pulpit was right I don't believe the building's on fire I don't believe that door leads outside you see what I'm saying there is doubt in all these things the same thing with the gospel if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ then you are you will repent of your sins you will be baptized in Jesus name you will ask him to fill you with his spirit because it is given unto us. And the spirit of the Lord takes the place and overrides all the things that was under the law because the word of God is then put in our hearts by his spirit. Praise the Lord. And I'm seeing all these folks, things, folks, today to us so that we understand here what God has brought in the New Testament is the greatest thing that he's ever given to the human race. It is Calvary. And it is given unto us 
praise the Lord, and us obeying him. The Jesus Christ, I'm using the story of the Passover now, the application of the blood. Jesus Christ, you know, died on the eve of the Passover. And they used a lamb. The lamb was slain, the blood was applied. Jesus Christ was the Passover lamb fulfilled. Fulfilled. All of that, and it was kept every year and in honor of the original Passover. But Jesus was crucified on the eve of the Passover because he was the fulfillment of the Passover lamb that was slain and his blood applied, praise the Lord, and is applied by us. Calvary, the shedding of the blood, is God's grace. But us applying that blood to our individual lives, praise the Lord, is like the Father to his own doorposts. Don't you know that during the middle of the night, that Egyptian father that said, what are you doing? I don't believe all that stuff. He wakes up and finds his oldest son has died in the night. And there was wailing and crying all over Egypt because their oldest son died. And one of these days, the Lord's going to come back. And one of these days, the church is going to leave. Praise the Lord. You know what? And when for Israel, for, for the 400 years, they were down in Egypt as slaves. And they kept telling their children, one of these days, a deliverer is going to come because the Lord has promised it. One of these days, we're going to Canaan's land. And they, they would say, well, well when is it going to ever happen? I don't know. And they would grow up and they would tell their children. That's why the Bible talks about Moses. By faith, Moses not only kept the Passover, but Moses forsook Egypt. Uh, I'm gonna, let me read this verse of scripture to you here. Uh, it says here in uh, verse 26, and it's speaking about Moses. It says, esteeming the reproach of Christ. Well, Christ didn't live back in Moses' time. What does it mean? Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. This is Moses. In other words, he gave up Egypt. He chose the suffering of the children of Israel and to be with them rather than to with Egypt. So esteeming the reproach of Christ. What is the reproach of Christ? It's believing the word of God and that one day there would be a Savior that would come. And there had been prophecies of the coming of the Savior for way, way back there. And so these Jews would say, that's going to be a deliverer out of Egypt. And God's going to send somebody to deliver us and everything. And they'd tell their children, and their children would tell their children and so forth and everything until they came to the place, until they wondered if it was ever going to happen. That's why they questioned Moses, because Moses had been brought up in the royalty of, of, of Egypt. And now he was all of a sudden going to be a deliverer, and they, they couldn't quite put that together. But they finally did, because they realized God was using him to do for them what he had promised that he would do for them. And so the reproach of Christ here is believing that the Lord will send a Savior. Jesus sent a Savior through Jesus Christ. I mean, God sent a Savior through Jesus. Do we believe that? Do we believe it? Do we believe in the blood of Christ? Do we apply the blood of Christ? Do we repent of our sins? Are we, are we baptized in Jesus' name that our sins may be washed away? I want you to know here this morning, there's no one that has to lose or miss that. Praise God. The Lord has done it all that we might be saved. He shed his blood that we might be saved. Now, this is Independence Day uh, in America. There has been many. Um, I mean, tomorrow's Independence Day. Today is Independence Sunday, we call it. But there have been many men and women who have died on the foreign field that you and I may have life, that we may have the freedom of life. And I thank God for that. I thank all of those people for that. And you, you well know that. This is an Independence Day. It's for all wars, and it's especially for the Revolutionary War in which we broke from England. 
But I just say this in, 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 in this sense of the word, just as all this blood has been shed that you and I may have the freedom we have, let us not lose this freedom, but let us take the freedom to worship God and honor God and thank God when we come to the house of God. Folks, above everything else, just always take the advantage of that freedom, not to be outlawed, not to be mean, not to be hateful, not to be cruel, but to worship God and thank him for his goodness and his grace. America is not great because we are great. America is not a great, it's the greatest nation on earth right now, and you know that, we all know it. The whole world knows it. We're the greatest nation on the earth, not because American people are great, not because you and I are great, it's because that God has advanced America into that way for us and has given us a great nation. And songs like God Bless America, you know, written and people sing it all over the nation and so forth. But it is God's grace has been opened on this nation. And because of that, we owe God praise. We should praise the Lord. We should glorify God. We should honor God. We should thank God. I'm serious. If there's anything else, when you come to the house of God, lift your hands, worship the Lord. You know, anybody can leave your hands down like this, unless you've got a rotator cuff gone or something, you know, and you can't get your arm up, you know, or your arms in a sling. Let's take our arms and lift them up today and praise him and thank him and glorify him and say, Jesus, we love you so much. You have been so good to us. Amen. It's a total surrender to the Lord. Not my will, but thy will be done, O oh Lord. Let's stand together. Let's lift our hands together. And let's just worship God right now together. Praise the Lord. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We praise you, Lord. Lord, we ask you to bless this congregation this morning. Bless every one of us, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for our wonderful privilege to worship and glorify you, Lord. We know that no one's going to walk through the doors this Sunday, Lord, and arrest anybody for worshiping you. We know that, Lord, because we're in America. Thank you for this nation. Thank you for this country. Thank you for the peace. Thank you for the joy that you've given us. Thank you for the privilege to worship and glorify our God. And we take advantage of that privilege, Lord, by declaring our love for you and our wonderful, wonderful worship unto you. Amen. Remain standing, if you would.